What's up guys and welcome to another episode of The Athletic Mindset. Today's guest was a former number one ranked linebacker out of high school, going on to play four seasons at the University of Florida and eventually playing four more seasons in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. Now he's currently a founder of Mind Body Sports, a company that focuses on helping people achieve mindfulness, empowerment, and creativity through fitness and sports. So without further ado, I'm excited to welcome on Jelani Jenkins. Jelani, how we doing? What's up, boy? How are you? Good. Can't complain. Uh, thanks for taking awesome. my call, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that's all. The first question I had for you was your passion for football. Where did that all start? And then when was the point, I guess, in your career that you realized you'd be pretty good at it, maybe competing at the NFL level? I mean, that's perfect transition, I guess, at good counsel. Um, obviously, success in football, but also in track and field. Kind of, how did you handle that mentally, um, being so young, but you had the spotlight on you because you excelled pretty early on in your career there? keep going now I was gonna say just naturally I was a little bit more quiet my dad was like my mouthpiece because <laughs> yeah. he would be bragging every place we go he'd be <laughs> bragging showing newspapers to people and stuff so I was just always kind of quiet so the spotlight uh, I don't know I guess my dad kind of took over it <laughs> hey I mean that's not a bad thing I feel like especially at 16 17 years old I mean, yeah. you don't know what to do at that age uh, right. with that kind of attention. So it's good that they were there for you, though, and kind of guided you through everything. Yeah, thankfully it was before, like, the social media really took off. 
Do you think that would have changed things a little bit now? Um, well, I think that I might, more people would have gotten, I would have gotten more attention probably because my name was out there, but, you know, it's easy for people to get a hold of you now. Yeah, um, So that's true. They would have more of a direct contact with me, so I don't know if my parents would be able to really filter it through. Yeah, yeah, filter, exactly. So it yeah. different for sure definitely so kind of I guess after good counsel you're going to University of Florida what was your decision making process behind deciding to go there maybe over some other schools so it, it really came down to just like a feeling thing I took the opportunity to visit a bunch of schools and walk through the facilities meet the coaches like fill it out so it was really intuitive based mm-hmm. um in order to narrow down the search from like 50 to a nice group, um, what we did was we created this sort of matrix grid kind of thing where we put on the left side all of the categories that makes means a lot. So proximity to class or, you know, the graduation percentage, mm-hmm. you know, winning, uh, you know, who got in trouble. Anyway, we had that list over there. We would mark it out and put each school and grade them according to that category. And at the end of it, we were able to find, like, okay, these five schools rank high in the categories we like. And so we narrowed it down to that and actually went to those specific schools and felt it. And at the end of the day, it came down to Penn State in Florida. Florida had just won a national championship and uh, the blue and orange this on to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I don't blame you there. Um, yeah. So then, I guess when you get to when you got there, um, how did you handle being away from home? And then, if you do, you have any tips? I guess for any current freshmen or people struggling to juggle that college athletic career as well as like academics for the first time. Um. What was the, what was the first part of the question again? Just making that transition to Florida, how did you handle being away from home? I know you talked about that strong support system, but yeah, you're a little far away down in Florida. Right. You know, it, it didn't. It didn't really bother me. I, I never really had that that angst. I'm sure a lot of people do have. Um, and I didn't know anybody down there really. Mm-hmm. I did that. That it didn't really occur to me. I, I knew. I had a plan going into it. You know, I, I had a, a vision of where I wanted to go, so I, I was just... I knew my support system would still be there, and also they would make that travel from Maryland all the way to Florida every week. So, <laughs> like, I, I still felt very comfortable. Yeah. Um, and the coaching staff, I mean, I fell in love with it for a reason because it's, it feels like a family. So I, I got comfortable really fast. You know, I, I was just yeah looking looking forward to playing in the swamp. I was excited. I wasn't really thinking about it. Really. Yeah, I mean that's good. So I guess yeah. what would you best advice for freshmen going out there now, uh, juggling those two? Oh, you, you had a second part to the question. Yeah, yeah. About, no worries. Yeah, right. What was my what would be my advice to the freshmen going out there and juggling those two? I think really just finding a group or a couple of people on 
on the team if you're on the team but just finding some people who are like minded mm-hmm. and work as hard as you're doing to raise the way you were um, it makes the transition a lot smoother because you be going to you get into a group that is completely opposite of what you're used to you know chances are you may switch up and, and start gravitating towards that energy uh, but I think if you really find to find somebody that you are familiar with, they work as hard as you do. If you if you got good grades in high school, they want to hang around people who are serious about school and college as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just please surround yourself with. Yeah, definitely keeping it consistent. I guess is probably the biggest yeah. thing. Um, yeah. And then I guess also you mentioned it. Um, Florida had just won the national title right before you got there. What was it it like to kind of step into that environment, like right away? It was exciting. It was was so much buzz because Tebow and Spikes has both, after they won, they both had a chance to leave to go to the NFL, and they both said they were coming back for another year. So it was so much buzz, Mm -hmm. you know, the year after the national championship. It was just media attention, the Tebow mania. It was it was crazy. How, um, how do you handle that as a player? I mean, I was a freshman, so I've really learned from the, the brand that Spikes and the Tebow's of the world. So I, I just mm-hmm. kind of stayed in my place. I worked really, really hard, and you know, I, I've always had a good, great work ethic and learned fast. So I just was humble, humbly getting better. I knew I was on a championship team. Going into it, I knew that chances are I wasn't going to start immediately. Like, I'd have to, mm-hmm. like, learn my way into it. And so, and that's when I had a red shirt. That's, um, it's, a, yeah. it's funny you mentioned that to me just because, I mean, you know, following your career, reading about it and stuff, like, you were number one linebacker in the country out of high school recruit. Yeah. And I think that's it says a lot about you that you didn't go into freshman year expecting to start. Like Yeah. You kinda knew like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn what I need to learn and really wait till you're ready for that. Right. Um, exactly. Do you think that helped you? That red shirt year? Oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> <laughs> it helped so much. Um I mean, I it, it would I think I think I would have learned through experience mm-hmm. in other situations. And I, and I learned through experience, it just wasn't on TV. So, like, in practice, yeah. I got beat by, you know, Hernandez down the sideline, guarding <laughs> him, and the Chris Rainey and Jeff Dempsey of the world, guarding him out the backfield, I mean, Tebow, and, uh, yeah. So, I, I, the hardest part was practice. <laughs> I was about to say, you guys had yeah. you had some offensive guys that not too many other teams in the country had all around. Yeah, it was like Ann Hernandez. Well, Jordan Reed, who plays tight end now, the yeah. rest, he was, um, he was that quarterback back then. But I guess we'll we'll see how much longer he's playing, man. It's kind Trey of Burton. Oh yeah, he's banged up, huh? Yeah, but um. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. You look at those four teams, and I feel like you guys have so many big names, you know, coming yeah. out at that time. It says a lot about your program. Yeah, and obviously that was a big, big, big part yeah. of the 
decision to go there. It's like, okay. Oh, 100%. If I, if I go, yeah, I, I want to get to the, to the NFL. So when I go there, I have a really, really, really good chance of going to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, there's um, a reason why those players go to those powerhouse schools that have a reputation for spitting out NFL talent year in and year out. Exactly. And so that was a big um, highlighted section on that matrix I was telling you about. Like, yeah. I, I mean, if that was your goal. <laughs> Makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Uh, so you touched on, I guess, your own team's talent, but, you know, the SEC as a whole is right around that time where the SEC is really taking over college football. How would you mentally prepare for those games? Because each week, it's you can't look ahead. You have great competition. How would you prepare for that? I mean, we have some really, really good coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Urban Meyer, his mentor is Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that do your job, the do your job quotes and next play mentality. Like we, we were, we were at. I mean, we were groomed. Like from the moment we got in there to be championship, mm-hmm. had a championship mindset, championship program. So I, I, I just followed the lead of the coaches, of the coaching staff. It was really that good, and so I, we were able to approach every game the same way, no matter how big or small the opponent is. And in the SEC, you're not going to have any small games really, not mm-hmm. a whole lot. And so, yeah, we just we we were always prepared. But honestly, we had no choice but to not be prepared. Like we, it was the training was difficult. Mentally, we were tough. We been through everything, so we just it was fun on game day. Honestly, (laughs) hyping up the crowd. I mean, I'm sure you. I mean, you work your tail off six days out of the week. It's got to be fun that seventh day to go out and. And show off what you've, yeah. you what you've been working for all week. Exactly, that's uh, what it's all about. Yeah, letting it So I guess while you you were there, I mean, you touched on Urban. Um, you guys made a transition to Will Muschamp. Was that after your sophomore year? Or? That was after my red shirt sophomore. So okay. Yeah, I had two years of Urban, two years of Champ. Okay, so what was? I guess the hardest part to adapt to new coaching style. Um, was there any transition there, or was it pretty seamless? No, nah, it was definitely a transition. They both were really good coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people were like they felt betrayed or whatever about Urban, and, but for me, I wanted to at least give Chet must have a chance. He was a defensive-minded person, so it worked out for me. Yeah. Um, he brought in Dan Quinn as a D coordinator. Like we were, we were good on the defensive side, and I really like Muschamp. Mm-hmm. He, I learned the most about football defensively from Muschamp. Like he's really a defensive minded coach, and so, and then like I said, Dan Quinn had his own thing that he was given to. It was him and Dan Quinn working together. So for the linebacker, and they were. At, treating me and John Bostic as like the quarterbacks of the defense mm-hmm. as as a linebacker and so we were just learning so much we, we were just so prepared and confident uh, because we worked really well together so it almost benefited you the coaching change in a way yes okay yeah that's tough I mean 
Uh, to give you a little bit background about myself, I swam in college um, at University of Delaware, and I think I had the opposite experience. My my coach left after my sophomore year, and I had almost a, a negative uh, experience afterwards. The transition didn't do me so well. So it's good to hear that it can go the other way too. Yeah. Nah, I've been in the NFL where it went. Yeah, way. went south <laughs> the other way. Yeah, it, I've had both experiences, but that particular one, they both, I like I like Urban's people and I like Mushan's people. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of differences, but the transition was smooth because they both were championship level. Like, mm-hmm. I was about to say, two great coaches either way, so you can't really go yeah. wrong with either. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, you make that transition to the NFL, your fourth round draft pick uh, by the Dolphins, kind of get to stay in Florida. How would you describe that process, though? Of, preparing from a mental aspect for the draft and just not knowing where you're going to end up? It was it was a bit tough because my last game at Florida, playing Florida State, like at Florida State, I broke my foot. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to actually come back. Like I was a redshirt junior. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting a lot of pressure from the coaches, much champ, um, some coaches wanted me to stay and was kind of downplaying the fact that I, you know, because I had an injury, it's not looking good for me. So I had, I had people in my ear saying, maybe stay another year because you got injured and you may not be able to run at the combine and mm-hmm. all of that. So I really, really had to dig deep into my intuition and my confidence in myself and everything I was raised on in order to overcome and, uh, I ended up, because of that, my foot healed a little bit faster than it was supposed to. I wasn't supposed to do anything at the combine, but I ended up being able to do position drills. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the same support system I had before, my parents, like, we got a really good agent, an agency that flew me out to Irvine, California. I trained out here. Mm-hmm. There was a really good foot doctor out here. They just surrounded me with the right people. And uh, it worked out. And... Mentally, I got I was really sharp because of my training at Florida with Muschamp and Dan Quinn because they talk like NFL mm-hmm. language. So I was smarter than most linebackers at the draft, and that's that's why a lot of guys. That's why I ended up getting picked higher, mm-hmm. um, and I found that out later on as I got into NFL. <laughs> <laughs> was, was that that played a big role because I couldn't move and they were concerned about the injury so yeah I mean that's gotta be tough especially when I guess your livelihood at that time is on the line you don't really know I mean assuming you're gonna make it back you made it back obviously um as soon as you get an agent your eligibility stops with college so you can't like not get in the draft and then go back to college yeah it's kinda all or nothing at that point Um, so, I mean, you mentioned that these coaches, Dan Quinn, Muschamp, like preparing you, they spoke NFL level language to you. So did your mental preparation for an NFL game change at all from how it was at Florida? Um, yeah, I had to really learn my own slow Mm -hmm. because at Florida in college, 
the coaches are really more hands on. I mean, they it's different because in the NFL, you're expect you're treated like a grown adult, and so you're expected. You know, you don't have like a highlight film for you or something, but you're expected on game day, like your routine and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's not as much like rah 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 from all like assistant coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you everyone is you're here on a job, so you're expected to be at your best. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I had to learn kind of different things. Like for one, I had to start spending money and investing on massage therapists, chiropractor work. Like I had to, that was the first time I had to do that. But, you know, not all programs. And I think Miami at the time, like had those therapists full time at the facility. So you got to do and start investing yourself in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of getting babied and like for instance and, and also in college because you're really on a meal plan like they pick the food for you so in the NFL you're just getting a, giving a lot of money so you're not they don't have a meal plan for you you're expected to do all this to yourself so you learn to grow and take care of your body yeah. you have a lot more money in your hand and a lot more reasons and ways to act up and not be focused, especially in Miami. You know yeah, I mean, of all places. How did you, was there someone that you looked to, I guess, on the team? Or how did you learn how to handle that? Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, well, one, money was never really like a huge motivating factor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't change up my habits much from college based mm-hmm. on the fact that I had more money but I did have a really good group of linebackers who were older than me mm-hmm. Danelle Ellaby was a big mentor for me in that linebacker room when I got there uh, he had just won the championship with the Ravens against the 49ers yeah. linebacker and the Dolphins picked him up and Phil Wheeler and they drafted me uh, so I was behind them and I just learned from the older guys. They, I, I got really lucky in terms of like hazing and all that. Like they were like a really good group of linebackers. Mm-hmm. They took they took care of me, but I was I was humble. You know, what I mean, I wasn't braggadocious or anything. I was humble and ready to just learn and grow and you know do do whatever I could to help. Yeah, I feel like you probably experienced a little bit more success because of that attitude versus going in and being. Like a big shot, brash kind of guy, that you were able yeah. to probably absorb a little bit more. Exactly. There's a lot of guys who the vets didn't really appreciate. Did you um, see that like, like often with rookies and stuff, or? Yeah, not not often. I mean, yeah. more than not, rookies were nervous as hell. Yeah. Trying to blend in and make the team, but you get a couple. Depending on how high you get picked. <laughs> That's, I mean... I mean, yeah, you be guaranteed four years there or whatever. Yeah, I'm um, sure that's a little different story. Definitely. Um, so I guess transitioning to the game, you end up... Was it your your first year, your rookie season, you ended up starting, right? Because of some, some injuries to the linebacking core? Or was that second year? Yeah, um, so the first year I started, it wasn't really due to injuries, it was... I ended up playing like 
more nickel. Okay. Because, like I was, they brought me in to cover certain people. Um, the second year, so like the two people that they had, or the one person that they had in front of me, he went down, mm-hmm. and then like another linebacker went down immediately. And so me and like the second string linebacker came in the first game of the season, and it was against the Patriots. And they were at Miami, or maybe in the second game of the season, but yeah, they were at Miami, and the two linebackers went down with like five minutes left in the first quarter, maybe even before that. Mm -hmm. And we ended up winning the game in the midst of like Brady trying to pick on the new linebacker. (laughs) Like, me and the other guy played really well. And after that, it was... It was a wrap. I mean, we beat, beat the Patriots and then up in, the, in Miami. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, the momentum of that just carried. It was that was my spot since that moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's got to give you some a huge confidence boost. Like first real game experience, going against <laughs> arguably one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. Um, yeah. Come out with a W. That's pretty big. Yeah, it was definitely like. It was it was definitely a confident boost in a way. It, it was it was my first time really getting to see like okay, you're in it. <laughs> like, yeah, you got like you can you see you can do it now. Yeah, I was about it to was say just an extra fuel to battle that that voice about you know. Yeah, and so I guess during a game though, what's going through your head as that play is unfolding, pre-snap, you know, ball snap, what's going ha- what's happening? In that, particular, in that particular moment, there is really no room to think. Okay. Honestly. Like, Just reaction? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, when I think back at that that game, I, I was in flow because I wasn't thinking because I didn't, I didn't have, I, I couldn't even allow myself to, like, romanticize that moment. <laughs> yeah. You know? If that makes sense. Like, I'm used to seeing... I grew up rooting for Peyton Manning in the Super Bowls mm-hmm. against Brady. Like, I'm used to seeing Brady, <laughs> the eye of the tiger driving. I, I couldn't even go take my mind to that to that story. I had to just be present and uh, and run like hell. That's really all I could think about was just be all over the field. Yeah, and, I uh, mean, they always... I was I studied some sports psychology in school and it's what was really fascinating to me was when professors were talking about the the zone that athletes would enter in, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like if you're lucky enough to be good enough at a sport and you experience that, it, there's no way to describe it. Like you just black out almost, yeah. And your your actions, your training speaks for itself. It just happens. Is that kind of how you felt? That's exactly it. Like, it, it feels like timeless. Um, like, time isn't really, is not a factor. Your identity isn't really a factor. You're just like, you're kind of um, like a passenger. Mm-hmm. I, I think sense? that's the perfect way to, to put it, as a passenger. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, there's always talk, I guess, especially in football or in sports in general, of momentum in games, um, and one team seems to have momentum over the other. 
Would you say that was the case in football? Like, do you feel that when you're on the field? I think momentum shifts throughout the game. So, mm-hmm. obviously the home team, they are better at, I mean, they are more equipped with the tools to gain momentum mm-hmm. because of the crowd. Uh, but the way I look at it and what I teach a lot through my own company, Mind Body Sports, is the momentum a lot of times comes because teams aren't in the present moment mm-hmm. and they're focused on like the last play or the next play or the crowd you know what I mean mm-hmm. I, I think one thing that the Patriots do really well and I learned a lot from going against them twice a year um, is that they capitalize on momentum really good they have like a flow with their offense like they'll slow it down and then they'll speed it up mm-hmm. if they make a play they'll run they'll speed it up they try to capitalize on the fact that guys are still thinking about that tackle they just missed or but usually if you make a bad play they're gonna take a shot the next play and go for the touchdown like they yeah they, they capitalize on guys not being in the present or if the crowd is going crazy like they capitalize on people being distracted they they capitalize on they do their thing really well and they make guys make mistakes on their own and you lose because you beat yourself yeah. And so momentum, I think the teams that are really good at capitalizing momentum is just through distractions and understanding energy and crowd noise and all those things. So I guess if in the moment you're feeling maybe as the momentum's not really behind your defense, did you have any strategies that you were able to use to like flip that script and get it on your side? Personally, like breathing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like like focusing on my breath. We had we had some pretty not maybe not my first couple years in Miami, mm-hmm. but towards the end, like when Adam Gates came, they brought in like some sports psychologists and some good people around us, and I learned a lot. That's when I really like learned a whole lot about meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and like being in the present, focusing, and so I was able to every play have something where I do where I would just close my eyes and just take a deep breath and then open my eyes and you know be ready to go yeah that, um, that takes practice for sure oh that's not something you can just do practice. yeah exactly it takes loads of practice no but that's really it like if you're if a team if 11 guys are completely present and focused on their job and they're not thinking about other stuff for someone else's job, mm-hmm. then nine times out of ten you're gonna win that so. Or whatever, or whatever team has the most guys, yeah, <laughs> completely focused and present, they're gonna win that play. It's I like was about to say, coming from like an individual sport, I feel like it was hard enough for myself to be present and focused in. I can't imagine now I have to rely on on ten other dudes as well to be there and all dialed exactly. in for success overall yeah it's tough it's super tough now um, I mean you're talking obviously talking about the Patriots you're you face them twice a year for most of your career um, how do you guys handle that expectation each year going into it as how are you going to knock them off and, and try to become division champs make the playoffs and all that 
division. So uh-huh. I mean, we we always went into it with all the expectations to beat them. <laughs> but you know, you you know you gotta be at your best to beat them. Mm-hmm. You can't beat yourself. Well, and so you guys were. The, I said you guys were pretty good about beating them when they came to Miami. I feel like that's always, I guess, yeah. a trap game for them as they come down. You guys have exactly. historically been able to beat them at home, which is good. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So we, we always went into it with, with all intention to beat them. But like you said, they... I would say the heat probably affected them more than our momentum because they they're really good at being focused on every mm-hmm. single play. They I've never been in their locker room, but everyone who leaves there or who goes there, they all say like they're just on another level when it comes to preparation. So the fact that I, I know a lot of times I was in Gillette Stadium and like I, the whole team was dismantled based off of, like, a big play from Glock and the crowd going crazy and mm-hmm. cannon fire. <laughs> like, so, I mean, you're going to it with all the right intentions. You know, it's just making sure 11 guys are on that same wave every play because <laughs> they, they're really good at taking advantage of you not being focused. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously with any sport, loss, uh, losing games is kind of a part of it. Um both in the NFL and college, you can't really lose too much. You don't have that many opportunities. So I guess what advice would you have for this next generation of athletes as they begin to learn how to handle losing and correcting correcting that? Um, I would say to, to really, like, just focus on the journey, like, rather than the prize, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like... Instead of focusing so much on wins and losses, like focus on how much you can serve your team. And when you win, it feels really good. And when you lose, it still sucks. But if you look at it and you can say, I did all that I could for my teammates. And you can really honestly look at, I would say really honestly look at losses and failures, like look at it. Mm-hmm. with an open heart and see how you can do better to prevent it from happening again. And you may do better and you may lose again because your teammates aren't on board, but like there are ways to affect everyone around you by your energy and what you bring to the day. So maybe you might, and this is almost impossible, but maybe you had a perfect game and you lose. Mm-hmm. You still can look at yourself and say, okay, could I have said something impactful to my cornerback when he got beat on that play. You know what I mean? Or did I go into my own zone and, and not interact with my team? It is just, there's always something you can do more. And so just honestly appreciating the journey and learning from wins and losses, mm-hmm. the sky's the limit and it goes way, way further past football and sports. hundred uh, percent. I agree there. Um, now, I guess towards the end of your career, you talked about it, the start of NFL, you had some some injuries and towards the end, starting to deal with some more. I guess, did that change your mental preparation as you started to have to deal with those as well? It actually heightened it, um, you know, just to 
keep longevity in this in the league as long as that. Well, I, I let me take that back. I didn't. I was kind of like crawling out the league. Yeah. Like I knew there was a time when I would eventually be ready to leave on my own. And so, what the injuries did towards those last years, I really, as I learned meditation, that's when I really started getting into the holistic style of living. So I was mm-hmm. dabbling like vegan diets and. I changed up my whole nutrition plan and took like this test that told me everything that I was allergic and everything that caused inflammation in my body. One mm-hmm. of my biggest injuries was inflammation in my knee that wouldn't go away. And my knee just kept swelling up. My knee had a big issue. That's why I ended up leaving the game. But I had to look at all the ways that I can affect that. And I learned like how to eat healthy. I felt what yoga would feel like, you know, I felt what it felt like to eat a fully organic lifestyle, and I I learned my body through that whole experience, so my preparation actually heightened, was it the heightened part of yeah. my career when I was at the, my most injured, um, and that's ultimately what made me be okay with leaving, was like, I, I feel like a higher purpose, I think more people should know what I just experience so the injuries actually came like my greatest gift yeah i mean so perfect transition you recently started earlier this year right mind body sports yeah Mm -hmm. so tell me i guess tell me about your your company and then what really had you share the need or see the need to share mindfulness with today's athletes yeah so that the company is really aimed at training and developing athletes, fitness enthusiasts, mm-hmm. um, through mindfulness, and I attribute mindfulness to the whole success of my career, so I really look at it in two ways, there's a part of mindfulness that's around being present, being centered, being focused, and I was sharing that a little bit earlier about mm-hmm. things I was learning on the football field, to get in the zone, different things like that, and then there's an aspect of mindfulness that's more about the creation. Right, so that's like positive affirmations. That's planning. That's goal setting. That's um, vision boards. That's positive self talk. That's all the ways that you put you 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 put the things that you want in your mind in order for you to be successful and move in the right direction on the right target. And so I learned the meditative aspect later on in my career. But when I was younger, what pushed me forward was my father running up and down the sideline. They can't stop you. They can't stop you. They can't stop you. Like training my mind to really believe these things mm-hmm. and teaching me mantras like and teaching me affirmations. One of the affirmations that he taught me at a young age that I used throughout my entire career was God is in me, through me, for me, and with me, and where there's God, there's no imperfection. And I would repeat that over and over again before a game, before a test, before the draft, before the combine, before every every game, every comp- competitive environment, you know. And mm-hmm. so a lot of those things were, I mean, those were really, I, I would attribute that to all of my success with my mindset and knowing and believing that I could accomplish whatever I want in life. And and also, and I didn't talk about this earlier, but my, my father had a really, really big impact on me and, and my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he would do things like in my bedroom there'd be a he was an artist and an architect so he painted like a big picture of me running behind my bed and then he had like Ali pictures over here Gail Sayers like just Hall of Fame athletes all over the room so like all I knew was championship you know like he he helped train my mind to see myself as on another level at a young age and so a lot of that is what is driving the passion to extend some of this knowledge to the next generation because is everything and it helps with the transition out of sports like it it helps to see sports as a way to serve a higher purpose yeah 100% I feel like I mean, one of the main reasons I wanted to start this podcast was to help those people when they transition out of whatever their sport, no matter how old they are. Sport, a lot of times, I feel like, is someone's identity for so long, sometimes more so longer than for others, than, you know, but you got to find a way to, to find your identity post-sport as well. So then, Absolutely. that's huge. You found something for for you, and seeing yeah. a way to impact other people through it as well. Absolutely. And the thing is, when I was like in fifth grade, I, I had a teacher when I was in middle school, and he had us do these assignments every year called dreams and goals. Mm-hmm. And so he would have us write out our dreams and our goals, and he would always have us write out how we plan on getting there and why we want to get there along with what it is that we want to get to. And so I remember back then I wrote on there that I wanted to be a professional athlete, but, and my why, and the other thing is he needed the why Mm. to be big enough. He would shoot down the why if it wasn't big enough. (laughs) So like if if it was you wanted to make money, that wouldn't fly. If it was you wanted fame, that wouldn't fly. If, you know... It had to be big enough. The why had to be big enough. And so my why was, he forced to challenge me to like pick a bigger why. And my why was to be able to use my influence in football to bring people closer to God. Mm-hmm. And that, but he challenged, he challenged all of us to have a big enough why. And so football was always an avenue to do something much bigger. And so that my purpose and my big why was always my identity. And so once football left, it really just catapulted <laughs> the same path. You know what I mean? It didn't change yeah. anything. And so I always saw myself as more than an athlete. And I think it's never too early or never too late to define a big enough purpose and a big enough identity and to see yourself as more than just your job, your career, whatever you do, not just sports. Yeah, I think that's really well said. One of my favorite books that I've read recently was Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I don't know if you've read that before, but there, like, you hit it right on the head. Like, you got to have a solid why to be successful. If it's wishy-washy, as soon as it gets tough, you're probably going to give it up. So it sounds like you had to have that foundation, which is huge. So, I guess, looking back on your career now, though, is there anything you would have done different knowing what you know now um, with how you approached the game when you were younger? 
I know that my body would have held up longer had I taken nutrition more You're a true Montgomery County kid. I you think. feel me? <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was important for me. And so I I know that it took me my third year in the league after a few after my knee blowing up to be like, okay, I need to uh, I need to figure out how that doesn't happen anymore. Like the older you get, the the harder it is to recover. And so you start to feel like... Isn't that the oh, worst? Gotta, it's <laughs> terrible. It's awful. I've, but the guys who get it early, they they extend longer. Yeah. it's uh, To me, it's fascinating watching these guys, you know, like your Brady's and Breeze's going, you know, up until recently, I guess, with Breeze, but, you know, so late in their career and doing it for so long and relatively healthy the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. It's got to say a lot about what they do for their body and their approach to everything. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot said to like really. I mean, when you get to the point when you're in the NFL and or you you get to the point where you have the money to do it, especially as a professional athlete, being able to invest your money on yourself, like go hard on the extra nutritious plan, nutrition plans. Mm-hmm. Recovery massage therapists, like a lot of those guys, they put a lot of money into that, but it pays off. And so, I mean, they're when you're at that level, I feel like your body is your livelihood. You mm-hmm. have to invest in it to get that return um, and continue to have that success, and, and then make a career. Exactly. You know, you'd be surprised about. You'd be surprised at how many guys don't do it, <laughs> even with all the money in their pocket. Like they, they go to the club. Yeah. I, mean, I saw a lot of Miami. <laughs> it's enticing. I mean, yeah, it's. Very it's enticing, so. I think that speaks to just people in general. It's that instant gratification of, I got this money, I can go spend it at the club or on a new okay. car or something like that, versus reinvesting it into yourself to make more longer exactly um, exactly tunnel vision yeah so what's one big takeaway that you learned from your football career that you um, would say had the biggest impact on who you are now I I really learned to be my biggest supporter um, I learned to really drown out negativity and to focus on the positivity mm-hmm. and like I said I wouldn't have made it near where I was if it wasn't for learning the power of affirmations at a young age and uh, learning how to like program your mind to think believe and feel a certain way and the fact that like my father would have me watching all these Ali tapes and 
I'm the greatest of all time. I'm the greatest of all yeah. time. Like, he was putting spells pretty much in his mind to believe something. So he believed it before anybody else did, and he became the greatest. And so I learned that at a young age through the affirmation. So the biggest thing I can take away from my whole football career, and I'm going to continue to teach until I pass away, is <laughs> to be your greatest supporter and to speak life into yourself. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, yeah. What would be the biggest, I guess, piece of advice that you have for younger athletes that are trying to take a similar path to what you did? I would say find the big why. Find a big enough why, a a purpose. Um, Ask yourself, like, where you want to go and attach a why to it and just keep on keep on asking why (laughs) you want to get a nice car say why and just keep asking like okay I want to get a nice car because I want to attract a wife why so we can have family why so we can have I don't know just keep just find a big enough why to where it transcends sports because your body doesn't last forever and a lot of people's careers are cut short um so find something that lasts through sports. The way I see it is my football career was the preseason of my life, and now mm. I'm entering the real season. And so use football as a tool to learn all, learn life lessons and grow and compete and have the fun and possibly make some money. But at the end of the day, find a big enough why and a big enough purpose to fuel what it is you want to do. Very well said. Um, was there anything that you learned from football that someone, maybe a non-athlete, could implement in their day-to-day life? Um, a lot, a lot going back to just knowing and uh, having a purpose and mm-hmm. something to fuel the hard days. Just being very specific about your target and where you want to go. I think. A lot of people don't recognize the importance of like why goal setting is important and writing stuff down, mm-hmm. vision boarding. Like you have to see where you're going. And for athletes and non-athletes, it, it's all the same. It's like if you want to go somewhere, you have to be able to see where you want to go and understand that you're powerful and your uh, and our minds are powerful enough to be able to manifest wherever it is that we want to go. And so. Just continue to see where you want to go, believe you can get there, speak it into existence and just move forward. And and don't be afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. That's another big one. That I, I want to add that to the list of people that needs to hear something. <laughs> don't be afraid to fail. Like redefine huh. failure in your mind as just a step forward in the right direction. Like failure is the only failure is not taking the next step mm-hmm. because of fear of failure that's that's the only way you fail 100% uh, I, I coach and I, I personal train a lot of people now and that's one of the biggest things I preach to them you know I ask a lot from my athletes mm-hmm. but I ask in return that they just trust me you know there's some days where I want them to fail because I want them to be comfortable failing 
and yeah. to get comfortable doing it in a practice setting so that when it happens, when the lights are on, they're not shocked by it and they can mm-hmm. respond to that adversity and come back stronger because of it. Exactly. It's a, it's a huge lesson. Yeah. It cripples, I don't know the percentage, but I would say more than that, it cripples a lot of people from being the best, being their best. Yeah. Yeah, failure. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate the time here. Where can these people find you at? Um, I guess where is Mind Body Sports located and all that? Yeah, so my Instagram, my personal Instagram. So I, I really don't do a whole lot other than Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> social media, but my personal Instagram is Mighty King Jenkins, which is M I G H T Y K I N G. Jenkins, J E N K I N S. And then my the Mind Body Sports page is at Mind Body Sports. So M I N D B O D Y S P O R T S. And we it's still very, very early in the in the early stages of it, but what we have is a camp that we host at my high school good council every year in July. Um, and there are a lot of events that are gonna be planned moving forward not just on the East Coast, but also like in the West Coast, Los Angeles area. Mm. And so, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Mindful athletes everywhere. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to be able to share Jelani's journey and what allowed him to be successful. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and rate The Athletic Mindset five stars wherever you follow us at. If you learned something useful from today's conversation, pay it forward and share it with someone you think might find it beneficial as well. I'll see you all next week as I welcome on former University of Michigan basketball player Jillian Dunstan. Thanks and have a great week. Peace.